Amen. Thank you, ushers. It's been my conviction for some years that in the church today, we often, especially in Baptist churches, let me say, we often take the Lord's Supper for granted. We sometimes use it as a way to say, well, we've accomplished that because that's what we're supposed to do. In the bylaws, it says we're supposed to do it. And sometimes it's easy for us to overlook the purpose of the Lord's Supper. It's easy for us to participate in the act of the Lord's Supper and not really appreciate why we're doing it. I know sometimes for little children it's difficult because they see mom and dad taking these little bits of bread and this little cup of juice and they think, well, what's that all about? And they may even be tempted to think, well, why can't I have the refreshments like everybody else has? And so it has been my part to try to change that a little bit. So people will have a new appreciation, a new recognition of what it means to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And so this morning it's an attempt on my part and the part of our staff as we've prayed about this and talked about this over the last uh, several days really, last two or three weeks, and I also shared this with the deacons at our last meeting, to be able to, to do something a little different, not for the sake of being different, but for the sake of this being a, a meaningful, worshipful celebration of the Lord's Supper. So if you have your Bibles handy and uh, your sermon notes handy, let's just begin by reading two brief passages of Scripture. The first one in Matthew 11, verses 28 and 29, is not directly related in the text to the Lord's Supper. But I believe that it correctly captures some of the intentions of what the Lord's Supper is all about. Jesus said, Come to me, all you, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I remember when we put that stained glass over the baptistry. I was here at that time. And one of the questions was raised, well, what do we put on the glass? What, what scene do we put? And, and what wording do we put? And I can't remember who suggested it. It really doesn't matter. But we came up with the idea that it should say, come unto me. Jesus is always inviting people to come to him. And I want you to think of this day, this service, as an opportunity for you to come to Jesus to find rest for your soul. In Acts 2.42, we saw this uh, a few days ago in the message on that text. It says, and they devoted themselves to, and among the other things, there was the teaching of the apostles, there was prayer, and then there was the breaking of bread. Now, this is not just a reference to having a meal with the church brothers and sisters. This is a reference to the Lord's Supper. This is a reference to what Jesus taught his disciples the night before of his, his crucifixion that they should do to follow through with him. Now, in your sermon notes, you need to understand this one first point to get the whole big picture of the Lord's Supper. The body and blood of Jesus establishes a new covenant. A new covenant. Now, think about this new covenant in this way. 
Our Bible is divided into two sections. The first section, which is longer, is called what? The Old Testament. Second section, which is shorter, is called the New Testament. Now, what does the word testament mean? Well, it's basically the very same word that we would translate covenant. Covenant. There's an old covenant and there's a new covenant. God made a covenant with his people, first of all, at Mount Sinai. Remember that? After the plagues in Egypt, after the Pharaoh finally relented and said go, after they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground and then the Pharaoh and his armies were all drowned in the water, within four or five or six days they had come to the place called Mount Sinai. And it was there where God met with Moses And God gave Moses those commands, details about worship, details about civil law, and all those different things God gave them. And God said to the people, here are the conditions of my covenant. Will you accept this covenant? And the people said, yes, we will. We do. And from that day until the day Jesus died, that covenant was in effect. The covenant of the law. The old covenant said, if you do these things, I will be your God and I will do certain things for you. It was an arrangement. It was an agreement. It was a way of saying, hey, here's the best life you can possibly live. And there are so many good things and positive things we can say about that covenant, how it's impacted all of human society even to this day. Especially in the Western world, all of our civil laws, all of our criminal laws are based on the Ten Commandments and the other laws God gave. And so that law, that that covenant had its effect and annually the people were supposed to renew that covenant as they went through the ceremonies, the rituals of the feasts and the fasts that God declared should be for his people. Now, the second part of our Bible is called the New Covenant. Follow with me as we read the scripture here. Mark 14, verse 22. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. The old covenant established at Mount Sinai, the new covenant established on Mount Calvary. Isn't that fascinating? God had two mountains, Sinai and Calvary. Now the Lord's Supper is a celebration of this new covenant. The Lord's Supper is a time and a place where the church gathered together says, we remember what Jesus did for us. We weren't there, but we read it in scripture. We have the testimony of the eyewitnesses and we have experienced new life through Christ. If you're a Christian, if you have asked Jesus to come into your heart and forgive your sins and to make you a Christian, then you have signed the new covenant. 
You have accepted the new covenant. You have become a child of God. You've become a part of the family of God. And so the Lord's Supper is not a duty. It's not an obligation. It's a celebration of a new covenant. Now, Libby and I went to uh, visit our son yesterday. And uh, his daughter is having her 11th birthday this week. She'll be 11 years old on Wednesday. And we didn't have to bring it up either. <laughs> you know, when you're 11 years old, when you're going to be 11 years old, it's a big deal. And I tease her a lot, and she, she seems to like it. I hope she likes it. And I said, now, Sophia, you're really going on 16, aren't you? She said, yeah, that's right, I'm going on 16. <laughs> but you see, in a, in a child's life, the big day is the day you turn a year older. Now, we know it's just really a day older, Right? But for her, it's a big deal. It's sad to see how many Christians do not think it's a very big deal to celebrate the Lord's Supper. I've been guilty, as other pastors have been guilty, of tacking the Lord's Supper onto the end of a service because we're supposed to do it so many times a year. And I wonder, in the, as I look back over those years, I think, well, was that really significant for anybody? Did it really have any meaning for anybody? I've heard of churches who would have a special place and time that they met together just to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And, and some churches don't invite those who aren't members to participate. Now, that's a whole different theology, and we won't talk about that today. And so what we're saying here is that this is a covenant with God that each of us who are believers who have been saved, who have been born again, have entered into with him where he says, I will forgive your sins, I will carry you on through eternity. And this supper is a recognition, a celebration of the fact that on that day when Jesus died on the cross, he died for how many sins? All of them. All of them. He died how many times? One time. So that we celebrate the fact that every sin I've ever committed in my life, every sin I ever will commit in the future, all of them were put under the blood of Jesus Christ. And somebody says, well, I'm, I, I remember a Baptist preacher. He and I were discussing this. And he said, well, I don't want to tell my people that all their sins are already forgiven because that will make them want to go out and do all the sins they can. And, of course, the reason why that doesn't happen is because a person that does that has not been born again. You see, the Bible teaches us that when you're born again, you become a new creature. God changes your want to. I mean, as a Baptist preacher and as a person whose sins are all forgiven, if I want to get high on dope or if I want to drink alcohol to be, I become a, into a drunken stupor, I can do it every time I want to. I just don't want to. <laughs> God has changed my want-tos, and so I have a new heart and a new desire. So in just a little while, when we invite you to come to the table to receive the Lord's Supper, you are saying, I am a believer in Jesus Christ. I trust him to have forgiveness for all of my sins. I look forward to that day when I see him in eternity, knowing that I will be there with him forever and forever. Now, when you come to the Lord's table, and I uh, apologize for this, guys, on the computer. I'm, I'm skipping to the last part, okay? I'm skipping over some stuff here to get to the last part. What will you find when you come to the Lord's table? 
this is on down in your notes a little bit if you're making notes or following along in the outline. Let me give you five things that you will find when you come to the Lord's table with the right heart, with the right attitude, with the right purpose in mind. Number one, you will find peace for a storm-ravaged soul. In other words, you may be a person who says, you know, I went forward in church, I prayed the prayer, but there are times when I really wonder if I'm saved at all. That's a storm-ravaged soul. A person who, who has doubts, who has rough spots in life, a person who you've come to a place where you've made some bad choices and decisions and, and you think to yourself, wow, if I was really saved, I wouldn't do that. You know, that's, a, that's spiritual warfare. And the devil is trying to wreck your soul. But you can't let him do it because you have your security, not in how you perform, but in who your Savior is. Let me give you a second benefit of coming to the Lord's table today. You have nourishment for a hungry soul. You know, the way we serve the Lord's Supper, you just have a little cup, just have a little bit of bread. That's not going to nourish your body. You know, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper after the Passover meal. They'd already had roasted lamb. They'd already had bitter herbs with it. They'd already been drinking wine as the normal custom would have been. And so it wasn't to fill their stomachs that Jesus instituted this supper. And Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 11, we'll read from that in a minute, and says, hey, if you're hungry, eat at home. Don't come to the Lord's Supper thinking you're going to get your belly filled. That's not the purpose of it. So what is the purpose of taking it? Well, one of the purposes is that it will nourish your soul. When you understand why you take the Lord's Supper, when you take it with an open, clean heart before the Lord, when you ask God to show you and guide you, it is a way for you to have strength spiritually from the Lord. Now, I hope you know this, and you probably do, but we don't see the Lord's Supper in quite the same way that the Roman Catholic Christians see the Lord's Supper. They believe that in that cup and in that piece of bread, there is a transformation that takes place, that this cup actually becomes the blood of Jesus, that this piece of bread actually becomes the body of Christ. They reenact the death of Jesus. It's almost as though they're saying the death of Jesus on the cross historically was not enough. We have to do it again and again and again. And they see it as a means of grace towards salvation. And that's why it's so important for a Roman Catholic Christian to take the Lord's Supper. They believe it's a means for their salvation. The more they receive the grace of the Lord's Supper and the other sacraments of the church, the closer they're going to get to heaven without spending as much time in purgatory. We see it totally differently. We don't believe there's anything in that cup but grape juice. The reason we use grape juice is the temperance movement back in the early part of the 18th and late 18th and early 19th centuries in America. And it would be okay if we wanted to use real wine, except those who are alcoholics shouldn't take it. So we avoid the problems and use grape juice as a symbol. And there's nothing in that bread, and as you taste it, Jim, man, there's nothing in this. <laughs> and and it's, I wouldn't call it bread. It, it has the physical elements that bread has, but it's a, it's a symbol of the bread that Jesus said, this is my body. 
And so you're going to nourish your soul and not your body when you take this element. Third thing is you will have refreshment for a thirsty soul. Are you hungry for a touch from God? You know, when I'm not preaching and I go to a church service, one of my prayers is, Lord, touch my heart today somehow in the service. Touch my heart with your spirit, with your message. And sometimes I get it and sometimes I don't. I'm like uh, one of my preaching professors at seminary. He said, every sermon ought to have at least one point. Otherwise, it's pointless. <laughs> and so I pray, God, give me something. And, and maybe you come to church Sunday after Sunday saying, God, give me something today that will refresh me, something that will brighten my eyes, something that will, will put a sparkle in my heart. And that's what the Lord's Supper should do. It should give us that refreshment that our hungry, thirsty souls need. Let me give you the fourth one. It is rest for a weary soul. When we come to the Lord's table, we're saying, Lord, I'm resting in you. I can't solve my problems, else I would have already solved them. I can't change people that don't like me or want me to be something different than I am. I can't change them, Lord, only you can. Lord, I can't change my circumstances. I mean, fellas, we've got to admit it. We can't even change our wives. I mean, you might beat your head on a wall trying, but that just won't work. And ladies, you keep thinking, I'm going to change him yet. I'm going to change him. You can't do it. And so you come to this place saying, God, I'm weary. I've been trying to do the best I can, and, and I'm not there yet. Lord, I've been trying to change these circumstances. I've been trying to do everything I can do. I can't do it. Find rest at the Lord's table by recognizing these elements are the ones that remind us that Jesus died for every sin once for all, for all who come to him. And the number five, the Lord's table offers cleansing for a stained soul. Not a lost soul, but a stained soul. Think of wearing a white garment as the Bible mentions a lot of in the Revelation. And think of it as when Jesus saved you, he put you in a white garment. And as you live in this world, when you sin, you get stuff on the garment. You still have the garment, but it's stained. When you come to the Lord's table, honestly and open before God, he cleanses that stain and makes it white all over again. Not that the elements in themselves produce any cleansing effect, but your encounter with God as you come produces a cleansing effect. Now let's go to our scripture in 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul recounts for us the instructions that he received from the Lord Jesus himself. And we don't know when Jesus gave him these instructions or how he got them, but uh, this is what he says. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he also took the cup and said, the cup, this cup, is the new covenant established to my blood, by my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner 
will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. So, verse 28, a man should examine himself. In this way, he should eat the bread and drink from the cup. What does it mean to examine himself? Self-examination is not about being worthy. It's about being saved. On an absolute scale, none of us are worthy. In an absolute scale, none of us deserve the Lord's Supper. And so it's not about saying, well, I've been good this past week or this past month or this past quarter since the last time we had the Lord's Supper. I've really been good. I haven't sinned much. So I'm worthy. No, no, that's the wrong attitude. Do you know that Jesus Christ is alive in you? Was there a time when you invited him to come in, take your life, forgive your sins, to be your Lord and Savior? That's the question. Are you in the faith? Have you trusted him? There's not an age limit. Boys and girls, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you know that you're saved, you certainly can receive the Lord's Supper. But until you have done that, it is not for you. And parents, this is a way of teaching your children, what God would have us to do in terms of salvation. So here's what self-examination is about. It's about removing obstacles which prevent open fellowship with God. It's about removing any obstacle that keeps you from having clear, open fellowship and communication with God. Now here's what we're going to do this morning, and uh, like I said, I've never done this before, but I think this is what the Lord has directed me to do. We're going to have three separate times in the next few minutes when we offer to you the Lord's Supper. Our deacons are going to come in just a minute. They're going to have the trays right here by the Lord's table. One will be a tray of the bread, and one will be a tray of the cups of the fruit of the vine. And you can come and take those elements and receive them right there, drink and eat right there, or you may take them back to your seat if you like and meditate and think about it and then take the elements. Or you may realize, you know, there's something between me and God or maybe there's something between me and somebody else and, and I really need to just put this in God's hands to have openness before God. You may want to take a, a little post-it note. I've got several here and some pencils. And just write on that note, whatever it is that seems to be on your heart that's keeping you from really open fellowship with God, write it on the note and post the note on the cross. In essence, you're saying, God, I really struggle with this, and I, I haven't been able to get over it. And so I'm looking to you for help. I'm trusting you to guide me. Just write it down and let it be a way of committing this to God and saying, God, I'm truly trusting in you to do this thing. All right, does that make sense? You don't have to do this if you don't want to. It's optional. If you want to stand or sit or kneel or whatever to pray before you take the elements, you may do that. It's really up to you as to how you take the elements, where you take the elements. We're simply offering them to you in the name of Jesus. Now, the first time is about things in the past, things in the past. Some of you may have some hurts that were inflicted by somebody in the church or somebody in your family. 
and you still have that in your heart. You, you had a grudge that's built up. Somebody neglected you or slighted you. Somebody didn't talk well to you. You wanted to do one thing, and, and they just cut you off. And it's possible that you even have a bitterness of resentment built up toward that person. The right thing to do is to go to that person and say, Hey, I've been holding this against you, and I just want you to know I'm sorry. Don't go in an accusatory tone saying, You're fo- you, you did this to me. No, no. I've had this burden, and I just want to release it. You may have guilt. There may be some sins in the past, and you, you still feel guilty about it. Listen, the blood of Jesus covers all of our sins. If you still feel guilty about it, maybe you haven't really confessed it to the Lord. Or there may be a lack of forgiveness for those who've hurt you. you. You don't have any forgiveness for them. You're still holding that bitterness and that grudge. Or you can put in anything you like. That's why I left a couple of blanks. There may be some big obstacles for you from the past. And today you're saying, I'm giving those up to God. And I want to receive the Lord's Supper to bring peace and refreshment. And I want to have that openness and communication with the Lord. So our praise team is going to come and they're going to sing another song. And during this song, our deacons are going to be here with the trays, the cups and the bread. And during this song, we invite you to come to take the Lord's Supper. If indeed this is your time, you've got two other opportunities. You don't have to do it right now if you don't want to. Or if you want to, you can take it three different times. There's no reason why you couldn't if you wanted to. So let God speak to your heart. So before we do that, let, let me just lead us in prayer. Praise team's going to sing. And deacons, if you all want to come on up and be ready, that'd be good. Our Father, we thank you for the body and the blood of Jesus. We thank you for this cup and this piece of bread that we're able to have today as a reminder, as a way of saying, Lord, we need you, we want you in our lives. And so now we ask you to bless this time and to bless these elements for your glory in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we look at the past, sometimes the past can control our present and our future. And we need to put the past behind us. As the Apostle Paul said, we forget the things of the past and press on toward the goal for the prize of the high calling. But sometimes as Christians and and knowing uh, what we know about the Lord's forgiveness, we allow some obstacles to come in our way in today's world. We believe the past is forgiven We understand that our salvation is eternal. But sometimes people live with unconfessed and unrepented of sins. It's possible to be saved and live a lifestyle that has some constant habitual sin that seems like a little thing, but it's actually an act of disobedience. And a time when we know we should live right and know that we should be a witness for Christ Maybe in this little area of our lives, we have this hidden sin that we're not willing to confess before God because we think nobody knows about it. It's not hurting anybody. I mean, what's the harm? But it's unconfessed sin. This often leads us to be halfway committed to God's will. 
Ask yourself this question. Is there anything God could ask you to do that you would say, no, I won't do that? I mean, somebody said one time, well, if God sent me like Abraham to sacrifice my son, I wouldn't do that. Well, I wouldn't either. But you see, that was the old covenant. And that was a one-time special event. Under the new covenant, Jesus says you might have to leave your houses and lands. You might have to leave your father and mother. You might have to suffer physical affliction for the sake of the cross. Have you drawn a line in the sand and said, God, I'm not going to cross that line. I'm not going to cross that line in witnessing. I'm not going to cross that line in how much money I give to your work. I'm not going to cross that line in the way I change my life. And for a lot of people, I believe that Christianity is not the main event of their life. It's just a little sideline that you have as an inexpensive fire insurance policy. You just want to make sure the bases are covered so that if the next visitor to your house is stirs, you know where you're going to be, really. You see, Christianity is a whole life committed to the whole Christ. Currently, we may live self-centered lives. Everything we do is for us. We do it with thinking, well, how's this going to benefit me, and what am I going to get out of this? It may be that we are passing judgment on other people. We say, look at those people. They think they're high and mighty. They think they're something. Well, do you have the right to judge another person? Do you have the right to judge another Christian in the church? And what judging means in this context is assigning motive to what they do. If you see Joe go across the street, it is not judgment for you to say, I saw Joe go across the street. But if you say, Joe crossed the street so he would look good to the girls on the other side, you've judged him. You've assigned to him a motivation that may or may not be true. And it's not your job to assign motives to anybody. Stating the truth is not judging, but judging is when you put a slant on it. And you may be judgmental about some people that you see at church. I remember as a little kid, I had pretty well everybody figured out in our church. I knew some of those people were proud and haughty, and then as I grew older and got to know them, I thought they were the most loving Christian people around. It's so easy to judge people. And then even... Today, there are people who believe that the church exists to please them. I don't like singing those songs. I want to sing these songs. I don't like it when they do this, that, at the church. Well, that may be your true opinion. That's okay. But do you expect the church to cater to your desires, to your whims, to your wishes, to your will, or to try to follow the path that God has set for the church. And I'm not trying to change the songs. I'm not trying to change things like that. I'm just simply saying, are you a person who demands that things go your way? I think I used the illustration a few weeks ago about a man uh, in Mount Pleasant who quit coming to church because we changed the time of his service. And he probably lived closer to the church building than anybody else in the congregation. And because we changed the time 30 minutes, he couldn't come anymore because they didn't have church at his time anymore. So he, he just said, I'm not going to go. Uh, it's kind of selfish, wouldn't you think? Kind of selfish. 
And so it may be that there are some things in your life that are ongoing today that it just rubs you wrong and you just feel unsettled and uncomfortable. And we want to invite you to the Lord's table by saying coming, you're saying, I I just want to give up any of these things in my life that are going on right now and strive to do differently. By the power of God, I'll be different. So the praise team is going to sing again, and our ushers, uh, our deacons are going to be up front again. You can come if you didn't get enough writing on the first time. You've got several tablets. You can go, go for it again. Or if something has uh, spoken to you this time, feel free to come. If you want to take the Lord's Supper a second time, you certainly may do that. Or not, just whatever you think is the need in your heart. So let's just listen and let the Spirit of God touch us and do what the Spirit of God tells us to do. There may be obstacles tomorrow, not that we are in tomorrow. Sometimes people worry about things that might be. People worry about getting a disease. It's not unusual for students to worry about failing a class or a test. Sometimes we we fear those things we cannot control. I know it's typical for moms, especially as they launch their children, to be fearful where they don't know what's going to happen or how they're going to handle the circumstances. We may even doubt that God's promises are real. We may think, maybe God won't come through for me. Maybe, maybe God will not provide for my needs, and I'm putting myself out on the line. Remember this, communion that we often call the Lord's Supper is communing with God. It's it's having fellowship with him. It's talking with him and sensing his nearness. The Lord's Supper is so called because he began it. It's the Lord who began it. It's the Lord Jesus himself who invites us to come to his table. And this remembrance is a celebration of the anchor, the anchor of our religion. As Paul reminds us so clearly in 1 Corinthians 15, without the resurrection of Jesus, there is no resurrection at all and there is no hope. Well, without the cross of Jesus, there could be no resurrection. It is the cross that begins the whole process in terms of our salvation. And so one last time, we invite you to come to the Lord's table if you desire to do so. Even if you've come before and you would like to come again, come. If you would like to put some more things on the cross, feel free to do that as well as the praise team sings this one last song for us. Thank you for coming with me today to the Lord's table. Let's stand for our closing prayer. And after the closing prayer, find two or three folks and just greet them in the name of Jesus. Share the love of God with them this morning. Our Father, we're thankful to you that you have invited us to come to be your children. You've invited us to come and leave our burdens, cares, worries, doubts, fears behind, and that you have given us forgiveness for all of our sins. And today we take this nourishment that we remember again the death of Jesus, and we look forward to his second coming in that day when we will see you face to face, in that time when we will be gathered with all the saints of all the ages, in that time when we will enjoy the perfect harmony with you, our Father, with the Son, 
and with the Holy Spirit. Bless us now with this joy and this peace as we leave this service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.